thank you for joining me tonight. We are getting ready to start another episode of Chapter Chat, and we are waiting for my co-host, Mike, to hop on here so we can get started. Hope you're all having a wonderful Monday. We love Mondays now. All right, let's see here. Okay, Instagram is being a little slow. Hopefully we don't have internet issues. Oh, there he is. Hello, Mike. All right, let's see here. Okay, get Mike on here. Maybe, maybe. There hey, we did it. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going great. Great, great to see you. How are things? You know, good. I haven't talked to you much this week, this past week. It's been kind of, I don't know. It's been a it's, it's been, been a hectic week, hasn't it? It has. It has. Are your uh, uh, clients, all your students, are they back in school or not quite yet? Uh, some of them are. Some aren't. I would say the majority aren't. Oh. Uh, but a lot of families are all over the place now. So a lot of family, a lot of schools start uh, the week of Labor Day or after Labor Day here uh, in PA. But I some see. of the some of the private schools are already back. But uh, the the clinic, our clinic, has been super busy. Families are really trying to get their kids in before school starts. Uh -huh. So it's it's been a it's it's been a very busy week. Well, that's good. That's good. I find it so fascinating as somebody who has always lived in the Midwest, born and raised in Des Moines, Iowa. Now I live in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, our school schedule is always so different. Whenever uh, before the pandemic and I was traveling all over the country, I was always blown away that on the East Coast, they like start school after Labor Day, but then they go all the way through June. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. School. And we just don't do that here in the Midwest. I mean, we start like second week in August and we are out like second week in May, you know, so it's just fascinating. Wow. How everything is just a little bit different, uh, you know, in different parts of the country. Yeah, where I when I went to school, we started after Labor Day and we went until probably mid to late June. So our summer vacation as a kid was always July, August, and then after Labor Day back. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Interesting. So what did you think, Mike? We are, let me just tell everybody what we're talking about tonight. Finish Lessons 2.0 is our book. And this week, Mike and I read chapter three. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. This chapter, let me tell everybody, chapter three is called The Finish Advantage, The Teachers. That's pretty fascinating chapter, wasn't it? Very fascinating chapter. This chapter was really straight to the point. Yeah. No, no, none of that fluff, none of that, you know, feel good stuff from all nope. the previous stuff. This is just, here's our teachers. This is what they do all. Uh, and, and this is why they are the Finnish advantage. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the vast majority of people, and this is why I was so excited for tonight. I'm always thinking about what am I going to say and what are we going to talk about and what are going to be the talking points. And what I love so much about this chapter chat is, you know, typically when I read a book, you read a book and that's it. You put it away. But right. now, because we're, we talk about it, and we have this great book club, and we have all these amazing people that are with us, even though it's, you know, Monday night, and it's, uh, you know, 8 o'clock on a Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, and it's getting dark out, and school's starting again, and everyone's lives are crazy. For all you guys to be here tonight, I love it. And, and when I read, I think about our great audience. Yes. I, think, I think about Allison Moulton and Carol <laughs> and all these people, and how are we going to really spark up this great conversation and my great friend uh 
Callie Knight from uh, K Knight Therapy is, is I'm, I'm sure is here as well. Oh, uh, so is. yep, yep, all, all you all you incredible people out there, TTIM, that's right. See, yes. this is this is what I love so much about about this is is it really gets me thinking. Where I'm not just reading to read, I'm reading to sit on this information. So yeah. what I was thinking about was this is what came to my mind is the vast majority of people who read this chapter are going to think, wow, it's really, really hard to become a teacher in Finland. Yeah. These, they really work these people to the bone to become teachers. And it's, it's such a prestigious job. And these people mm-hmm. work so hard and, and, and it's rigorous. And I keep, and the number one thought that I kept thinking to myself was, wait a second, it was really damn hard to become a speech therapist. You know, it was uh, yes. period. That's it. And I, and I keep thinking to myself, it was like, wait a second, is it really harder to become a teacher in Finland or do they just appreciate the profession more? That's really it. I know people that are teachers and here in America, you have to have a master's degree to be a teacher. Uh-huh. You have to be a speech pathologist to be a teacher. You have to, uh, to you have to be a, spe- you have to have a master's degree to be a speech pathologist. You have to do externships. You have uh-huh. to do clinical hours. You have to do a clinical fellowship. You have to take a ton of student loans. Right. So, the, so the, the, this is what I was thinking to myself is, is the, the normal person or whoever is going to read this chapter and think, wow, this truly is the Finnish advantage because their teachers are, go through this ringer to become teachers yeah. and to work in the education field. But guess what? So do we. So yeah. do a speech pathologist, occupational therapist, physical therapist, yep. special educators and educators. Yep. So do we, but we are less appreciated, period. Which is why, yeah. we, which is why we have our speech, path- speech pathologists working in closets in schools, yeah. working Absolutely. in hallways, and all of these different problems. But yeah, good, good for Finland, good for their Finnish advantage of the teachers, yeah. but hey... I, in, in a perfect world, there should be a book written about American educators and American speech pathologists right. because we work just as hard, period. Absolutely. What I found so interesting is the main thing that they talked about, teachers in Finland. And this is what just, it kept coming up over and over during the chapter is that they have this amazing balance that Mm -hmm. I think is missing in American education. Teachers in Finland have a balance of teaching, one, right, which of course we anticipate, but also collaboration with other professionals. And they said in this chapter more than once that this is how in Finland they attract young, talented professionals to choose teaching as their career because they let them know you're not just here as as, as a person who's going to teach, but you are also here to right curriculum. I mean, some of the responsibilities that these teachers have in Finland is unbelievable. So their education system, uh, Finnish education system in how they educate their teachers is distinctly different from how we educate um, teachers in the United States. They talked about in Canada or even in England. And so um, not saying we don't work hard here or that American teachers aren't well educated or work hard, but the rigorous training that Mm -hmm. these teachers have to go through is unlike anything. Um, uh, But I too thought the same thing, you know, becoming a speech language pathologist 
there's a lot of people who don't make it into graduate school, right? They yep. get their yep. bachelor's in speech pathology and audiology or communication disorders and sciences, and then they can't get into grad school. So let me throw out one number for you, for our audience, for those of you who <laughs> uh, read the chapter. There are eight universities in Finland that have departments of teacher education. Okay, there's eight. And in 2014, they had 8,400 candidates that applied to go into teacher school, teacher education uh, uh, school uh, at the college, collegiate level. And those 8,400 candidates were fighting for 800 spots. So mm. one in 10 candidates gets accepted in Finland. So um, it is really fascinating to think here in the United States, if you go to university and you want to be a teacher, you just make that your major, right? You make education Correct. your major. And um, I don't know that there's necessarily a vetting process. I mean, there are probably prerequisites and things. Um, what's interesting is my daughter graduated last May from nursing school and she went to Truman State University here in Kirksville, Missouri. And the reason she chose that university is because it was a five, uh, I mean, um, it was a, a program where you had to get accepted into the nursing program as a freshman. So you applied first to the university and if you got accepted into that, then you applied to the nursing program so that when she got in, she knew she was already in the nursing program. Because what happens to so many nurses is they get through their first two years of college, apply to the nursing program and don't get in, then they have to start over. Then they don't have, um, they, you know, they can't get into nursing school. So it's really interesting to think that we have certain professions in this country like nursing, like speech pathology, you know, where they are um, very um, difficult programs to get into, but um, I'm not sure all the education programs are, um, you know, lined up that way. So if we have Correct. any educators on here, you know, certainly give us your, your input on that. But um, it's fascinating to recognize that teachers in Finland are highly regarded. Um, in fact, it is rated as one of the most desired and admired. Did you hear that? Desired and admired professions ahead of doctors, architects, and lawyers. Isn't that fascinating, Mike? It's it, absolutely. So, so first of all, a big round of applause to Carrie's daughter for going into nursing. That, during the pandemic. During the pandemic. Everybody put your little hearts flying yeah. through on, on, on the Instagram live. All people going into nursing school and going into the healthcare field, yeah. when you see how difficult that can be, round of applause to her. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, I was going to say, yeah. she has seen things that no 23-year-old should see. She has seen more death in um, the past you know, 15 months than any 23-year-old should see. Um, this pandemic is, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's just something else. So um, I'm just telling you. I'm uh, don't mean to get political, but please get your vaccine. Um, let's let's do what we need to to save lives and um, to reduce the number of um, needless deaths um, because it is um, it's a trap it's a travesty what's happening right now in, in yep. the world. So. Yep, and all and, and all of the great nurses and doctors out there, some of them are uh, working so much with COVID positive patients. They can't even be around their own families. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So all, so all, and people, and and just like Carrie was talking about, is people in in this in this country, we choose what we want to do. We choose what we major in. So she's choosing to go into nursing, knowing that things like this can happen in the world, yep. and knowing that this is not going away anytime soon because of, for many for ma for many reasons. So Definitely. big round of applause to her.
So, 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 so back to this, back to this after that. Well, well, big round of applause there. Thank yes. you for all your, all your hearts, everybody. So, so the biggest thing that really came to mind here was because teachers are held in such high regard in Finland, really the profession of teaching and education really goes hand in hand with Finnish culture. Yeah. So I was trying to think like what goes hand in hand with American culture, because we have more capitalism and things like that. It's really like whoever makes the most money, whoever's showing off their mansions and their cars on Instagram and athletes and things like that. Those are the heroes, the YouTubers, Mm -hmm. the athletes, and the people with tons of money and boats and cars. That's who we, that's who we hold in high regard. But Finland is really different. They hold teachers and education in high regard, and their culture is one of cooperation. So one big theme of this chapter chat that we have is we continually run into this topic of executive functioning. But it's constantly used in different phrases and different words. So right here on page 101, Uh, They talk a lot uh, on the bottom of page 100, the very last paragraph of page 100, teaching as a profession is closely tied to sustaining Finnish national culture and building an open and multicultural society. So teaching and culture hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Indeed, one purpose of formal schooling is to transfer cultural heritage, values, and aspirations from one generation to another. So when individuals in Finland go into teaching, they know firsthand that it's part of the culture. It is not going to be strictly academics. They're teaching. And it's not all about test scores. It's not all about test scores. Exactly. The difference that I see that they keep bringing up is the lack of um, uh, comparison to um, other schools. Remember, they're cooperative. They're not in competition. What do we do here in the United States? Is not every school in competition with the other neighboring schools? I mean, absolutely. You know, it's that that's what it is. And um, we now have teachers, um, you know, pay in this country is directly tied to student performance. So, you know, to those test scores. So one thing, Mike, that I thought was interesting, right at the beginning of the chapter on page 100, is they said in Finland, there are five categories of teachers. And to Mm -hmm, me, this is really mm -hmm. fascinating because my middle daughter, Allison, is um, getting her master's. She's going to be an elementary school teacher. So she has just started her master's program. And so you decide whether you're going to do elementary or, you know, middle school or high school. Like that's what you pick when you go into education here. But in Finland, there's five categories of teachers. Um, You can be a kindergarten teacher. And how amazing is this is that there is actually a degree where you are a kindergarten teacher because that's childhood. And that's what I think we have done just completely wrong here in the United States is we put kindergarten in elementary school as if these kids are ready for worksheets and number two pencils and they need to be writing. You know, they're not doing play-based learning anymore, even though kindergarten is the original early childhood. So in Finland, you can be a kindergarten teacher and they are also licensed to teach preschool because remember in Finland, um, uh, formal schooling, compulsory schooling does not start until age seven. So at age six in Finland, there is an optional preschool, okay, that Mm -hmm. is available. But they do not start. Here in the United States, boy, at age two, we've got our babies in preschool, don't we? We've got them. Sure do. Here's what's so funny to me, Mike. I was thinking about this. I'm like, preschool. (laughs) Let's just talk about the word. Pre means what? Before. Before school. And yet preschool 
school is school, is it not? We have two, three-year-olds sitting at tables in little chairs doing math and writing their letters. Let's be clear, they're drawing their letters because uh -huh. they shouldn't be printing at age three. But they're working on letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. We're force-feeding academics. We're trying to make them smarter, faster, because, as we read in our first book together, the cognitive hypothesis is what drives education, including early childhood education in this country. So I am all for the countries who say, no, 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 no. We start formal schooling at age seven. Everything before that is early childhood and early childhood is play based. Okay. Yep. So, um, you can be a kindergarten teacher in Finland. The next option is to be a primary school teacher. So this is where you teach in grades one to six. So this is what we would consider elementary school in the United States. Okay. Um, they are normally assigned to one grade and they teach several subjects, just like our elementary school teachers here. Your third option in Finland is to be a subject teacher. And that is for what we would consider middle school and high school. And that is where um, you teach um, uh, a specific, you know, maybe you teach math or maybe you teach reading or whatever that is. Then you have special education teachers and they are those who work with uh, uh, kids who have um, special needs, both in primary and in the upper grades. And then you have vocational education teachers. And these are the teachers yeah. who are teaching the students who are um, getting a skill. Instead of going on to college after high school, they are being trained to be um, plumbers or to be electricians or whatever that uh, vocational uh, choice is. But those vocational education teachers have to have three years of classroom experience and then they have to, in, in that teaching field, and then they have to have like so much experience in the real world before they can become a vocational education teacher. So I just think it's fascinating the different levels of teachers that they have in Finland. But the thing that just always stands out to me is how highly regarded teachers are in that country. Wow. And we have our friend here who went to school in Finland. When I went to elementary school, we would have the same teacher for grades one to three, and then a different teacher grades four to six. Fascinating. Yep. Fascinating. And someone up here before was saying, but in Finland, don't they also have their children in preschool? Yes, kids go to preschool. It's actually, uh, you know, uh, funded by the state and it's free for a lot of families, but they're definitely not doing academic skills in right. preschool in Finland, period. Right. It is yeah. play-based. They talked about it a lot in the, la in the last chapter. Yeah. Finland really goes off of the research, which ironically, a lot of it was done in the United States. Uh -huh. and, that, and that research <laughs> shows that when kids are that young, their brains are not ready to learn letters, numbers, colors, and all of these academic skills. The brains aren't even ready for that yet. But in America, with this cognitive hypothesis, we are pushing these academic skills before the brain is even ready for it. And what yep. does that do? That causes incredible dysregulation and incredible anxiety. Anxiety. And, 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 what, and, and, and what do we have in, this, in, in, in American education right now? We have unbelievable levels of anxiety. And what's the problem with anxiety? It's an internal disorder. The vast majority of young kids, young teenagers, internalize their anxiety. And when it comes to education, uh, this is what we've created. We've created an environment that fosters anxiety instead of resilience. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and one big thing to really focus on that is in Finland, they have really uh, created, and one thing that just really blew my mind was on page 101, the last sentence of the first paragraph, literacy is the backbone of Finnish culture and reading for pleasure has become an integral part of its cultural DNA. 
Think about that. How many American teenage kids or kids in general do you know that truly read for pleasure? The vast majority of people, of, of even American adults that read for pleasure has greatly decreased now with technology and these sorts right. of things. So because we're so they, distracted. We're so, so, so distracted. distracted. Yeah. This yeah. is exactly what it is. So it, literacy, uh, you know, having literacy be something that people respect and people care about and people want to do value, with their time. They value it. They Remember value it. They, teaching is about uh, uh, passing along values of their culture. And if you value literacy and you pass that on and you have time for reading and you read aloud to your students and as parents, you continue to read aloud to your children, even though they're maybe in fifth grade or eighth yeah, grade or whatever yeah. it is. Um, you know, we had a very small glimpse of this when Harry Potter came out and when all the yes, books were released. Yes. It was amazing to me how many people were reading aloud as families. Oh, we read the Harry Potter book aloud as a family. And it seemed to only be for the Harry Potter books. And I'm like, what yep. was it about that? And it seemed to transcend all ages. You know, uh, exactly. grandparents loved Harry Potter, parents loved Harry Potter, kids of all ages. So I think it was magical in that regard. But one of the reasons, and you know, Mike, when I post on social media, I'm a huge proponent of literacy-based learning. Everything literacy-based. You take any book on my shelf and I can write 10 different speech therapy or language therapy goals, you know, for that. So I think that if we could somehow figure out how to value literacy, in even uh, half the way that the Finns do, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? It's, it's unbelievable that, that they've created a culture that respects literacy. So 95% of school, of school from kindergarten to first to, to, to graduating in 12th grade is literacy based. Over 95% is reading and writing, period. Math involved, every class every, every, I mean, everything, everything is literacy. Right. Yep. You're, you're not going to like school. You're not going to do well in school. Yep. You're not going to like school, right? I don't care if it's art class, if it's science class, if it's history class. Literacy is the backbone of education. Exactly. And Absolutely. think about it. Think about it. If you have a son or daughter that graduates school, would you really want them to, you know, would you want them to graduate with a 4.0 and hate reading? Or would you rather have them graduate with like a 3 or a 3.5 and love to read? Right. And go and, and, and love to read for pleasure and love to learn and love to research things. Yeah. It's really unbelievable, this culture that they've created. And, and just like we're saying, in America, it's anxiety. And in Finland, it's basically the growth mindset. Yeah. It's really, yeah. in America, the fixed mindset. This is good. This is bad. And I'm good at this. I'm bad at this. Mike, which means you're either yep. smart or you're not. Because what we exactly. value over everything in this country is that you have a smart kid. Because I don't care every child that I evaluate, one of the parents or the grandparents like, oh, but he's so smart. I know he's not talking, but he's so smart. They feel this need to convey to me how smart their child is because in all of our, the past three decades of this cognitive hypothesis guiding everything about parenting yep. and early childhood education, yep. we've decided more than anything in the world, the most important thing is that you're smart, right? Yep. And oh, so yeah. That, yeah, changing this culture is going to be tough. I mean, I don't think there's anything that's going to be easy, easy about this, but I think it is certainly worth continuing, you know, to advocate for. And uh, I saw that uh, my good friend, Pat, who used to be my neighbor, um, was on here. I'm not sure if she still is or not, but one of the things that I did before we moved was I put a Little Tree Library in um, my front um, yard. And Little Tree Library is where they send you this 
cute little, you know, rainproof box, if you will. It's like a, on a mailbox stand. And I just filled it with books. And it was like a little library. And, you know, I just made sure that it always had books in it. And it was just so amazing. I put a bench out there. So when parents would take their children for walks, you know, that they would sit on the bench. And you take a book, you leave a book, whatever you want to do with the books. You return it, don't return it. I'm, I've been such a huge proponent of literacy for so long. And um, I, I just, I don't know how we get back to the basics, right? That literacy is where it all begins. 100%. Uh, and and uh, I get very similar things. So parents contact me looking for executive functioning therapy for their students. And one thing that these parents are always saying is, oh, but he's so smart, but he's so smart. But here's the thing, can't manage his emotions. Right. Can't motivate towards non-preferred tasks. And here's the big one can't manage social relationships yeah so uh, so I, I had this big school training last week that i was prepping, oh, yeah. for, prepping for it was awesome it was a beautiful beautiful school great uh, great interactions it was incredible so uh in doing that i really wanted to make sure i had the most up-to-date research in that presentation to present to the school because they were literally taking everything from my presentation and integrating into their day-to-day, -day, integrating into their curriculum. It was a private school, so they could Must do be all private that. private school. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, and in doing that, the Harvard Center of the Developing Child basically found three specific things that determine long-term success. Three things that are important for kids, period. So let's try it. Let's see it. Let's see if our, 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 our chapter chat, let's see if our, our book club, and you as well, Carrie, let's see if, if we can guess what are the three things that determine long-term success, what are they? What do you well, think? Well, if it's from the Harvard for the Center for the Developing Child, working memory is one of them. So working memory is like the big, is a big uh -huh. picture. That's more uh -huh. of a gestalt. Three very specific oh, very things. very specific things. Okay. Very specific things. So, number, so the number one thing, the number, number one thing, the most important thing is the ability to manage social relationships, mm. period. That is the number one thing. So the ability to create friendships, manage French friendships, and sustain friendships. Super, super important. Resilience, of course, is a big one. And, and that's basically what number two and is. And it's hard to maintain friendships um, via a video game, right? When yes. we say, kids yep. say, I have friends, they're my online friends. Um, you've talked not over friends. and over again how that doesn't count. It's not the same type of social interaction. Just like you can have somebody who can talk to a friend, maybe it's a girl or a boy or somebody that they're interested in, they can text them, but they can't have a face-to-face -face conversation, right? They're too nervous. They can't manage that social relationship. Exactly. So that's so, so being able to be flexible in social relationships, being able to take other people's perspective, oh. being able to socially relate to others. This is all part of social relationships. Can you okay. maintain relationships long-term? So that's okay. huge. So a lot of people guess resilience, and that's basically number two. Number two is emotion management. Can you manage your emotions in the face of stress, in the face of non-preferred tasks, in the face of a downfall or falling down and having to get back up? Can you manage your emotions? And then number three, you said working memory, but really what it is, is more specifically independent problem solving. Ah. So, so when something comes up that is an issue, can you solve that issue independently? So I always describe this as mental play, you know, like how we talk about physical, mental, a physical play, 
where you're playing and this is why right. what we do in preschool and those sorts of things and then being able to do the mental play up here independently for example oh after school i have uh robotics and i have mm -hmm. a, a meeting with my therapist but i have two hours of homework what can i do so so in ability to maintain social relationships uh manage your emotions and independent problem solving those three are huge and now here's another thing that i find absolutely fascinating so fascinating so we talk about the mental play we talk about being like physical play and mental play is planning prioritizing and problem solving okay. and the ability and the ability to come up with a plan a plan b plan c okay so let's try something real quick okay so carrie after this chapter chat tonight and when you're done when it's when we're done and you log off give me a just a quick checklist of what you do after you log off Instagram Live. Okay, I log off Instagram Live and I immediately have to save this to my Instagram and I have to create a title and I have to, uh, you know, remember to put like what chapter we talked about. So I save all that and then it takes a couple minutes for it to upload because, you know, this is a pretty long video. So I have to sit here and wait. And in that time, I'm thinking, gosh, I really need to text Mike and tell him that that was awesome. So it's usually delayed reaction. Sometimes you text me before I get to you. But after um, I upload the video and then I share it to my stories and I try to remember to tag you in it. Sometimes I forget. And then I usually text you and say, that was awesome. Can't wait for next week. Something like that. Then what I do is I let the dogs out because they've been sitting here. They're at my feet right now and let them. And then I go check on my son who is very uh, good at entertaining himself uh, <laughs> upstairs or maybe he'll be out in the backyard and check on him. And then he and I will read uh, before bedtime and then it'll be time for him to get ready for bed. So that's kind of my quick, what do I do right after? Uh, so that was absolutely perfect. Perfect. So who here, who here from the chapter chat, can tell me what was she doing? What was she, well, I see her transposing herself visually into the future and going through this. So right there, so, so, so Callie right there described it, but what- well, I was even looking away, but, wasn't I? I was like, okay. But what specifically, there's one specific word, what specifically was she doing? It starts with a G. What was she doing? Who can guess? Who, who saw her? What was she doing? Callie described it, looking, talking with her hands. Talking with her hands is also known as you were gesturing the right. entire time. What? So this, so the entire time you were you, you're like, you had your phone in your hand, you saved the stories, you text Mike, <laughs> you text Mike, you go back and watch the video. You, you acted out the entire thing. Okay. So Sarah so Ward, that's, the mental, the, the that, that's, that's mental play. So Sarah Ward is, is, is one of my favorites, of course, a fellow speech and language pathologist. She describes literal miming. So she describes this unbelievable. So it's a, it's a process called mimetic ideational processing. Wow. And that's mental play, mimetic ideational processing. But the easiest way to describe it is being a mind mime, being a mime, being a mime in your head. And what do mimes do? They pretend something is there and they act it out. When we are doing mental play up here, instead of physical play, we gesture with our hands. And this, so when there's mental play happening up here, we act it out in our head because we're doing the mental play up here. So the gesturing is showing that we are doing mental spatial time travel. So, so. You, look, you look down at your dogs, 
and you said you were going to put them out, all of that stuff. So that's what's fascinating. And you, and, and I'm telling you right now, all of my ADHD students, all of my executive functioning students, they don't do that. Do they you? don't gesture. They don't I gesture. I tell you right now, my son, now I understand what I yeah. need to work on with him. Because if yeah. you were to ask Aaron, what are you going to do when your mom gets done with this, you know, live, he'd say, we'll read and go to bed. Yep. And you might ask him to expand. He can't. I'm telling yep. you, he can't. And now I understand it's because he has executive dysfunction, because he doesn't have that mental play. He doesn't have the ability, and he certainly doesn't gesture. He doesn't, like, look at me. I'm, like, always talking yeah. with my hands. But uh -huh. um, it's fascinating when you talked about what I did, because I didn't know, I guess, actively, I didn't know I was miming. Do you know what I mean? It's not like That's I'm exactly what myself, it is. oh, I better explain with my hands to Mike and the audience what it is that I'm going to do. But you're right. I looked down at the dogs. I gestured to where the door was. I mean, when I think back, and isn't that fascinating that nobody ever taught me how to do that? You know, I mean, yep. I don't remember ever being taught. But the point is, of all this executive function talk that Mike and, and everybody is doing and helping educate us all, is that we maybe need to explicitly teach executive yes. function, right? Yes. And this is why I always say true executive functioning therapy and education in general is not sitting at a table and doing worksheets. It's right. always play, it always comes back down to play. And when I look at back at some of my sessions, a lot of my sessions are basically gesture therapy. I'm basically teaching these kids to wow. gesture and mentally spatial time travel. So, I right. have them in the community, I have them in the clinic, I'm doing teletherapy where they're in their room and I'm having them act out the rest of their day. They're up here in their brain, they're somewhere else. They're an hour from now. They're so tomorrow. We we They're the next he's morning. He's not with us. He's in his own world. He's, he's not now working. versus not now. He's daydreaming. He's thinking Correct. about something else. So for me, people are always asking me, well, what are strategies we can use? What, what strategies? I'm just thinking right now, a game I want to start playing with my son is the game of charades. I mean, I there think in order to teach him how to gesture, you know, because he's 16. It's not like he's two. When I work with toddlers, I work on gestures. I teach simple signs, ball and eat, you know, because it helps bring about language. But wow, to think about the fact that my son, he doesn't talk with his hands. His hands are almost always just hanging down by his side. He has a pretty flat affect too when he talks. Um, and so, man, Mike, it's just fascinating. It fascinating. Really is. And it's all, it all comes back. I don't care if you're five years old, 15 years old, 25, 50 years old. It's all play. It always comes back down to play, period. So, like, of course, you eventually get too old to play with toys and these sorts of things. But when you're driving in the car and you have somewhere to go and you get stuck in traffic, and you say, you know what? I'm stuck in traffic. I can go to the supermarket tomorrow. Or maybe right. I can go, maybe I'll go on Friday and I'll have more time after the supermarket to stop at Best Buy or to right. stop at Dick's Sporting Goods. That's play. You're coming up with a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. You're forecasting into the future to plan in the future. And the whole time you're acting it out and you're doing it up here. It's so you know all what I think, play. I think it goes from planning, I mean, from playing to planning, right? So, you, I mean, you think about, you just change one letter, right? You play yeah. as a child, and as you get older, you change that Y to right to an N. We're gonna plan, because that's really what play for adults is, is thinking about the future and self-talk and planning that all out. Mike, I have to share one thing with you, and I put a big star by it on page 103, and I wrote EF for executive function. There you but go. One of the things that I love so much about this chapter is they talk about what it takes to become a teacher, to get accepted into the teacher education program in Finland. And what's fascinating to me is there's two phases. When you apply, when you decide, 
hey, I want to be a teacher. I'm going to apply to one of these or all eight of these universities in Finland that have teacher education uh, programs. So the very first phase, if you will, is you have to have, um, it says successful teacher education candidates must, um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. So they submit there. Okay. Yeah. It's highly competitive. Okay. It's normally not enough to just simply complete your upper secondary school successfully. So like here in the United States, you graduate from high school, you go to college and you say, I want to major in education, right? That's how it is here. But it's not like that. In Finland, successful teacher education candidates must also possess high scores. So that's one of them on that matriculation examination. But they must possess positive personalities, excellent interpersonal skills, and a commitment to work as a teacher in school. Annually, only about one out of every 10 applicants will be um, accepted into the teacher education program. So once you get past phase one, okay, then they go into two phase, uh, the second phase, right? So the first phase, students take a written exam in early May. It's the same for all eight universities. And this exam is based on a set, are you ready for this, of scientific and professional articles. They announce them in March. You take the test in May. So you have two months. There are six articles that have to be read for the exam, and they cover a wide range of issues. Here are some of the examples of the names of the articles. Development and assessment of working memory in childhood. That's the very mm. first one that they talk about. That's an executive mm. function skill, right? Equality and justice in basic education placement and selectivity. Another one was change in education policy and school's position in Europe. I mean, they give you these articles, but then you actually have to answer questions. You have to defend uh, positions. You have to talk about the research behind it. It is absolutely fascinating. So if you make it past phase one, okay, where you're actually analyzing scientific and professional articles, if you make it to phase two, um, now it no longer has anything to do with grades or merit. Absolutely nothing. They do not matter in getting to the second phase, okay? Um, uh, it says, um, where is it? Based on students' performance uh, in this exam, they're invited to the second phase of the selection process, which varies. It's worth noting that this first phase exam puts all candidates behind the same line. Yeah, grades do not matter for the first one. That's right. So you have to do well on the test. But it's just so interesting to me that they talk about you have to analyze uh, research that was done on executive function. And I love that. They didn't come right out and say executive function. Yep. But it's they never do. Yeah. 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 I also starred that page and wrote EF in the side there. You did just too. Like, yep, just that like that. Something? There you go. Just like that. So once again, we have our interpersonal skills. Yes. So there you go. So that's, so they know it's so clear based on ex their entire curriculum, their view towards education, the way that education goes hand in hand with culture, goes hand in hand with person. They even use the phrase personal development. Yep. They're, like they even say that uh, on page 101, Finns and their desire for personal development. Personal development is not academics. It's not grades. It's growing as a person growing as an individual and achieving more and being happier and being more pleasant and, and being a greater contributor to, to society. So clearly a massive, massive part of their uh, education is executive function based. And yeah. I'll say it, and I'll say it again, my favorite, favorite thing about everything I've learned about Finland so far is the twice a week counseling that kids yeah. receive. So yeah, it's not, it's not, it's, it's non-academic counseling. It's future-based counseling. Yeah. It's goal-based. It's individual. It's unbelievable 
what they provide these kids in terms of counseling. And it's so crazy how badly that's needed in America. Yeah. But once again, they're focusing on executive functioning. You know, they're learning about working memory. How often did you hear working memory in grad school? How often do we hear the phrase working memory? Well, guess what? 100% of executive functioning, all executive functioning, AKA independent skills starts with nonverbal working memory. Yeah. So there is no executive functioning. There without. is no independent skills without working memory. So the fact that they're starting with it is unbelievable. It is, it is. Just so before this comment goes away, someone said I had a friend apply four times uh, in Finland, I think is what it says. Yep. And yep. he was told to stop applying because he didn't have what they were looking for. And they meant personality wise. So those interpersonal skills. Wow. That, and so it's really interesting to me that not just anybody can become a teacher. They have a certain type of person and it's those interpersonal skills that are so powerful. The other thing that I found so interesting, Mike, about this chapter is that teacher education is research-based. And I know we always talk about, um, oh, you know, we look at, you know, the science of reading and we look at all of this in education, but it's really fascinating to me um, when they look at the pedagogy there in um, Finland and what is expected. Um, a particular principle of research-based teacher education in Finland is the systemic integration of scientific educational knowledge, um, that they have evidence-based decision-making. And it was just so interesting. I mean, there's pages and pages about um, the, 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 the type of research that not only they have to read, but they, teachers have to do their own research. I mean, they are required to do research. And um, so it's just fascinating. They have, um, you know, they talk about the, the theory of education in Finland. I mean, it goes into a lot of detail, but I love that it says in Finland, teachers develop deep professional insight into education. Are you ready for, the, for this? From several perspectives, including educational psychology and sociology, curriculum theory, student assessment, special needs education, Every teacher gets special needs education, mm -hmm, not just mm -hmm. like, oh, a few, and then um, didactics, which is really that pedagogical content knowledge um, in their specific subject areas, if they're a subject teacher. So, I mean, it has in here all the classes you have to take. I mean, it's a really thorough, thorough chapter. But um, even on page 116, they talk again about research-based teacher education um, and how they're looking at the most recent advances of research and how they have a research-oriented attitude, how teacher education in itself should be an object of study and research. And, and I love this. On page 117, I have it highlighted and starred. This is why in Finland, parents do not need to worry about finding a good school for their children because all schools in Finland are good schools because they have the most well-trained teachers and it is all based on research um, and, and evidence. And it's just so fascinating. So here's what pop, what will pop into my mind as I read this is yes, education is based in research and research-based practices, yes, but the big thing with Finland is teachers have, teachers have autonomy to, oh, yeah. uh, to take what they learn and integrate it into the classroom. So yep. that right there is huge. So these teachers, of course, go through rigorous training to become a teacher, but they, the teachers themselves, not politicians, right. not superintendents, the not teachers themselves, not curriculum developers. No curriculum developers. The teachers themselves yep. write the curriculum and teach the way they want to teach. Yep. So here's the difference: in Finland, yes, education is research based, but in America, education, yes, there's research involved. But then a lot of teachers have to use their own money and they have to get certified in Orton Gillingham 
or right. or Wilson or Linda Mood Bell or whatever it is. And it's and oh I'm I'm curriculum. Oh, and they have to use that that specific curriculum or Michelle Garcia Winter's social thinking. Oh, you have to use the you have to use the social thinking program. Right. You have to like what and, and now and I we always talk about this. It starts with education and we get born into this system that's doing it wrong. And then it really becomes a problem when it trickles down to the parents. And now parents see all the, the names of the people on the IEP and they say, oh, uh, are they trained in Wilson? Are, right. they, pro are they prompt certified? Yeah. Are, they, are they this? And now parents need to know, oh, what are the extra certifications? What's right. happening here? But in Finland, it's no, you have a master's degree, you're a teacher, you've earned it, and you teach the way you feel is best based on your relationship with that student. In America, it's all, it's all about money. And don't forget that in Finland, there's collaboration. So it's not one teacher writing the curriculum. Then it's yes. not just one teachers in one school writing the curriculum. They work together, they collaborate. They have this, this phenomenal value system of we wanna share our knowledge and our resources with each other. So on page 122, uh, it says curriculum planning is the responsibility of teachers, schools, and municipalities, not the state. Not the state. Most Finnish schools today have their own customized curriculum. Did you hear that? Each school has their own customized curriculum, okay? There are no strict national standards um, or descriptions of student learning outcomes. And in fact, Finnish teachers are like, how would we ever work and do our job if we had to worry about how kids scored on some standardized test. Like how would we ever be, because we need to alter and vary our teaching um, approaches based on the students, the individual students in our classroom, right? And that's gonna vary and our teaching style is gonna vary. So to give us a common curriculum and say, you have to use this exact curriculum in this exact way with every class, um, Finnish teachers are like, well, I'd quit. And that's exactly what they said. They said yeah. the only reason teachers usually leave is if they do not feel well-respected. Because um, I thought, now they do have a pretty good bonus system, but they're getting paid no more than American teachers. They make about 42000 Now, this is back in 2010 or whatever, whenever this book was written, 2014, I guess. Um, about 42000 to $46,000 in American dollars per year. So it's not like they're getting paid astronomical amounts, but they have a great bonus structure that they mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with their student grades. It has to do with, how, do you, how well does your principal think you're doing? And speaking of principals, principals still teach because the people who become principals are the best of the best teachers. And most principals still have a small um, a couple, two or three classes that they still teach. So they never actually get, administrators never actually get out of um, you know, the trenches, if you will. So I don't know, there's just so many wonderful things. Here it is on page 127, school leaders are teachers. It says some countries like the United States allow their schools to be led by non-educators. What are our school boards? Who's on our school boards? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody want to tell me who's on your school board? I mean, these are business people because yep. what the United States has tried to do yep. is run our education system like a business. Oh, if we put yep. a CEO in charge, right? Yep. If we get some bankers on the school board, right? They're going to know what's best for students. Whereas Finland says, no, no, no. The only people who know what's best for students are these highly trained, highly skilled teachers who they trust, right? Yep. And who have autonomy. And I'm just going to say from the SLP, from the speech language pathologist perspective, if, if there are any SLPs on here, I know you can understand this. Nothing irritates me more than I, when I evaluate a child and they don't qualify on a standardized test, right? They're not mm. two standard deviations mm. below the mean or whatever it is. 
I should be able to use my professional opinion and say, I am a highly skilled professional. I have skills that very few people on the planet have. And I am a pathologist, okay, not just a therapist. I'm a pathologist, which means I can analyze, right? That I can uh, uh, interpret uh, data that is taken. And if a student or a child needs services from a speech language pathologist, then I should be able to give that student services, right? I shouldn't have to say, oh, I really think he'd benefit, but his, he wasn't low enough on this standardized test that somebody wrote 15 years ago. So sorry, I hope that we catch him next time we evaluate him. So instead of being proactive, which is what Finland is, remember they said about two thirds of students get special ed in Finland without needing to qualify ever. You never have to qualify for special education in Finland. So instead in the United States, we wait for you to fail. Am I right? We wait for the student to completely Correct. fail. We wait Correct. for the anxiety to be so high. We wait for the child to have stomach aches and headaches and migraines to the point where they're not coming to school because the anxiety is so severe. And then we go, oh, gee, maybe we should get him a special ed eval or maybe we should bring the SLP in. We wait until there's absolute failure, until there is no growth mindset left to, eat, left to even save. And that's how the United States does it. And it is wrong. And think about it. If you're that lone SLP in a school building and you talk to the super ed supervisor or, or the superintendent or the principal, whoever it may be, and you go up to them and you say, yeah, they didn't qualify on a standardized test, but based on my clinical expertise, they need services. They need right. my services. I can think of all the schools I've been in where the response from that upper level leadership person would be stop making trouble. Right. Stop, make, stop making trouble and stop trying to get these kids services when they don't need it. We can't yep. afford that. We, like, th that's not necessary. Let's not do that. So they it, it's, it's, they it's have, all we care about bottom line, what I say, bottom line number. Yeah. Bottom line is a score. Sorry, he didn't qualify. Sorry, he didn't qualify. And this is never, and this is never more true than in today's ep epidemic of anxiety and executive functioning. Two things that cannot be measured. There will never be a standard score. Yes. There will never be a standard deviation for anxiety and for executive functioning. And a lot of these kids do do well in school and they are in AP classes. They are in honors classes, but they have no independent schools and no independent skills because of, because of course schools only care about relationships. They can't maintain right? relate. They can't do anything that's going to help them be successful. They can so get straight A's. So we yeah. have these kids who are professional students who love school, who can get straight A's. They study all the time. They have no social life. And there we you say, go. oh, she's going to do so well in life. And guess what? They don't often do well, right? Because you can't function without executive function skills. Exactly. And, and this, this whole system of, first of all, all of these tests, I am, I'm at the point now where I'm so sick and tired of these diagnostic tests. I can't keep doing the self. I can't keep doing the GFTA. <laughs> these tests are like pointing to black triangles and, and squares right. and, and, you know, the kid who wants the dinosaur book instead of the robot book. I am right. so tired of the self and these tests. And this one test is going to determine, your future. determine this child's receptive and expressive language. Right. When I see him in a social environment, not say a single word, right. staring at his screen, yeah, you know, can't yeah. sit still, yeah. talks way too fast. It's un, it's un, a kid who can't self-modulate and self-regulate in these issues, can't maintain social relationships, goes home and spends hours in front of screens and yells at his parents. It's, right. un, it's unbelievable what's happening, and right. we are a part of it. We right. have created this environment that is making so, – so you said it best. Play is disappearing. 
we live in an instant gratification world yep. where there's where there's no more waiting, there's no more right. boredom, there's no more imagination, hence yep. no more executive functioning. Can I tell you today? So my husband and I went, we both work from home, we work together. Um, we went to get new iPhones because um, Jim has like a six. I don't know, it barely works. So like he's desperate <laughs> and I want an upgraded phone because I need a better camera and I need more storage. My phone keeps yelling at me that it's full and I'm like, yep, yep, do yep. need anything else? So anyways, we go to the uh, AT&T store and there's a shortage of employees everywhere. So there's only two people working. There's like 19 people in line. So Jim and I are like, oh my Lord, we're like six in line. So we wait for about an hour. And so I'm observing, there's a young mom in there with, I'm gonna say he's between two and two and a half. He's got a binky in his mouth, a pacifier in his mouth. He has, a mom comes in with only her cell phone, okay? And her Diet Coke or whatever, but not a diaper bag. So there's no toys. There's clearly nothing for this baby to do, this toddler to do. So what does she do? to get him to stop quiet, you know, to be quiet, to stop. Cause he's been there for longer than we were. We were there an hour and they were there when we got in. So he's climbing and he's trying to push, you know, pull the phones off. And so she finally gives him her phone. Um, well, then of course, you know, it rings or whatever. She needs it back. Oh my word. Her trying to get that phone from that toddler. You guys, it was mm. like, World War III. Mm. I mean, she was fighting with him and yanking it out of his hand. And he was wailing and throwing, banging his head on the floor. And so she finally just told whoever she was on the phone, I got to go. I got to go. So she hangs up, hands him back the phone. He immediately stops fussing. So what is she teaching him? Oh, yep. when you're bored, when you have nothing to do, just cry till mommy gives you her phone. Like, yep. where's the planning? Where's your dang diaper bag? Why don't you have little books and little cars and a little choo-choo? And how about some freaking fruit snacks? Like, what are something, you doing? Something. It's, just, it's, it's I insane. I don't understand what happened. Parenting is gone. It's like, as gone. long as I have my iPhone, gone. then I don't, you know, my smartphone, then I don't have to parent. Sorry, you need to plan ahead. You can't go into a place where you're going to be there for hours and not have something for your child to do. So I don't know when we're going to start teaching executive function, but we're, we have a generation of children who are becoming parents themselves who don't have great executive functioning skills. So uh, do you see what our friend Callie wrote here from, from that one? What? Mike, Mike drop. There we go. <laughs> Done. Beautiful. So that perfectly. And, and I got every single week. I have an hour-long phone conversation with parents that tell me my son or daughter spends hours on the computer. The school gave them a laptop, and all they do is look at YouTube, and all they do is look at their websites. In class, they, the teachers think they're on Google Classroom, but no, they're playing games, and they're, playing ga they're, playing, they're doing whatever. When they come home, they're on TikTok all day. They're on Instagram all day. And I say to them, okay, I'm going to send you the screen time mindfulness plan. I'm right. going to send you the screen time plan. And you might want to implement it. Yeah. And you yeah. might want, you might want to consider taking the phone away during the week. You might want to consider getting certain websites blocked. I'll reach out. I'll reach out to them next week. Hey, how's it going? How, what, any updates? No, we haven't done anything yet. We're yeah. still think we're still thinking about it. Change is hard. It's it, change is hard. Can I show you something? Mike? You keep yep. talking. I'm going to get some. I got to think where it is. I'm going to show you something awesome. I got to say this comment section tonight has been absolutely fantastic. Every single one of you, I say this all the time, every single one of you that spends your Monday night with us on Chapter Chat, you we guys are, you guys, we, we love you guys. This is exactly why we do it. And I gotta say, tonight has probably been some of the best interaction from all your comments out there and everything you guys have been saying. I gotta say, tonight, you guys have been amazing. 
Okay, Mike, I'm going to send this to you. And I want you to see if you'll use this with the next parents, okay? Okay. So whenever, so I work with um, very young children and their family. So I'm big on parent coaching. So whenever the parent and I come up with a plan, right? So whatever it's for, whether it's, you know, how to get the child to make a choice between two items to enhance communication or maybe to uh, self-feed, whatever it is, we always come up with what I call a joint plan. And it's joint because it's not me telling you what to do. It's us talking and then coming up with a plan together. So I call it a joint plan. So then what I do is I show them the change scale. Okay. So from uh, zero to 10, I have a, I love visuals. So a change scale. So I say, okay, the first question is on a scale of one to 10, how important is it for your child to, so Mike, you would fill in there to have non-screen activities or to mm -hmm. reduce screen time during the day, mm -hmm. whatever you're going to put in there. How important is it to you on a scale of one to 10? And the parents can say it's a 10. It's the most important thing to me is that we, you know, reduce screen time dependency. How about that? Yep, okay. Yep, so yep. then your second question, we come up with a strategy. What's our strategy? And Mike and, and, and the parent come up and say, we're going to um, block two of his apps. We're going to not let him have TikTok during the week. He's going to only have it on the weekends. And we're going to balance screen time with non-screen activities so he can have an hour of screen time after school. Then he has to have an hour like riding his bike or hanging out with his friends, whatever. Okay. So, so you say, okay, so that's our strategy. So then you come back to the change scale and you say, Consider how likely it is that you're going to, as the parent, use this new strategy on a scale of mm. 1 to 10. Because mm. I am telling you, this is where it becomes obvious. When the goal, how important is it for your child to change, is a 10. And then you say, now, parent, mom, dad, what's the likelihood you're going to implement these changes that you and I just came up with? And the parent looks at that and goes, I'm going to be honest with you, Mike, it's about a 3. Because wow. the idea of taking his screen away from him, I don't know how I'm going to do it. So right then and there, what you've done is said, okay, then we need to back up. We're taking steps that are too big. We're asking you to, um, you know, take a gigantic step. So how about if we take smaller steps? What's something that you can put at an eight, nine, or a 10? Let's, you mm. see what I'm saying? I'm mm -hmm. telling you, oh, you make your own change scale. Just a, it's a yeah. from zero yeah. to 10, but it's how important is it for your child to blank? And then it's what's the likelihood you're going to blank, right? And mm. I am telling you, this has changed everything because a, I like I'm a that. visual learner and I like visuals. But otherwise, what happens is parents say, oh, it didn't work, Mike, or we didn't have time, or we tried, but, or there's no way, I, I didn't know how to start. So if you do the change scale, you're going to head off a lot of the, it didn't work, oops, we forgot, oh, I don't know how to do it. So I am a huge fan of the change scale, guys. And that's, and that's something that, that I kind of struggle with is because I've seen so many families just take, take the screens away, take the games away, take the phones away. I've seen families take kids' iPhones away and give them a flip phone and say, too bad. I've mm -hmm. seen so many families do that, but 100% of the time, they always reap the benefits. It just always happens. There's going to be a week or maybe two weeks of behaviors, but long-term, these kids are new kids. They're different kids. And I, yeah. just know, I just know that once parents take that dive, they're going to reap the benefits and they're going to be so happy they did it. But that's something I struggle with because I'm not there yet. I only have, right. I only have, a, I only have a six-month-old. I'm, right. you know, I'm not into the screen life yet. But right. that's something I struggle with is just like you said, okay, that's too hard for you. Let's take a step back. Right. Let's, take, let's take smaller steps and see what's possible, what you can do. I think that's something I need to start doing as a yeah. clinician. Well, because honestly, when we teach screen time mindfulness in the real world to teach independent, what did you call it, Mike? I wrote it down. Independent problem solving. Okay. Yep. There, your boss isn't going to be there to take 
your Facebook off your work computer or you know what I mean to do that. So if we really want to teach screen time mindfulness and teach independent problem solving, we need to partner with these kids, especially when they're old enough. And so one of the things I even do with toddlers and preschoolers is I start teaching screen time mindfulness with this book. This is my favorite book and it's called Doug Unplugged. And yeah. It's just this cute yeah. little storybook. Okay. I mean, look at it. It's only has a few words per page about um, um, a robot who gets plugged in during the day while his parents go to work. So Doug gets very, very smart because cognitive hypothesis is what we're all about. Doug is very, very smart, but Doug has no real life experiences. So one day his parents forget to shut the window in New York City. Doug, they forget to plug him in. So you can see he's not plugged in here. So Doug is like, sweet, I'm free. So what does Doug do? What any kid would do. He flies out the window and goes into New York City and has the best day of his life because instead of learning electronically in front of a screen, having information poured into his head, he goes and rides the subway and actually learns more about the geography of the city than he could ever learn sitting in front of a screen, right? But the best part of the whole book is that Doug meets and makes his first friend. And I mean, it's almost a tearjerker. You're like, Doug has a friend. I can't believe it. So um, I'm just telling you, screen time mindfulness is our most important job Correct. in this country Correct. right now. Screen Correct. time mindfulness. And Correct. you don't wait till they're in high school because otherwise you're dealing with like what Mike's dealing with, which is parents desperate. They're like, I don't know what to do. He's on his video games 35, 40 hours a week. You know, he won't go to birthday parties. He won't go to sleepovers, right? Um, yeah, kids are watching what their parents are doing. Varied so, experiences. Yeah, varied experiences. experiences. Non-screen experiences. Yeah. Thank you, Callie. Everyone follow Callie. Yep. That is 100% correct. Yep. Varied experiences. That is why kids today have anxiety, and yep. that's why they are in a fixed mindset. And they're stuck. What are, they're, they're stuck. stuck. 100% varied experiences. Look at any of the kids you work with, and look at the ones that are a little socially awkward, a little isolated. I guarantee you they do the same thing every single day. There are and no the varied experiences. If you work with young kids like I do, um, we, we are getting kids who don't even know how to play. So yep. we have to give them this standardized test and they're supposed to stack blocks and you know put a shape sorter in a shape or do a puzzle or whatever. And we're getting these kids and we're like, well, he chews on toys but he's almost four. And I'm like, I don't understand. Why isn't he playing? And you give him toy animals and he acts like he has no idea what to do with them. You give him a dump truck and he might spin the wheels, but he doesn't have any idea how to play. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So if kids aren't developing play skills, language and play, the development of language and play are so intertwined. You can't separate play and language out. You yep. absolutely cannot separate them. So if you have play deficits, I guarantee you, you're going to have language deficits. Okay. Oh yeah. And oh, it yeah. doesn't take standardized mm -hmm. testing to figure that out. So hand in hand. I to say, Mike, just to totally backtrack for a minute. Remember when you were talking about like giving the self over and over and like giving yep. a standardized language test? I'm yep. even going to say for articulation as a speech therapist, no. if a kid is unintelligible, he needs speech therapy. Okay. Because we now understand that the complexity theory, this whole idea of starting with later developing sounds is actually very beneficial. So instead mm -hmm. of saying, oh, well, he doesn't qualify because he can't say L but he's only five and he doesn't need L yet. But if it's affecting intelligibility, we start with it now. We don't wait. I don't even look at speech norms. Thank goodness I'm in private practice. Can't because stand if it. You're, if your name is Lucy, do you think I'm gonna wait till you're seven to start teaching you the L sound? Right? That's why target word therapy matters. We pick relevant and meaningful words. And if you need to be more intelligible in those words, then we're going to address those sounds as they come up. I'm so over standardized testing because we are highly skilled professionals. Now, if you just want to call us 
you know, speech um, technicians. We're not, we're clinicians. But if you want to just make us speech technicians and just have a, a two-year associate's degree so that somebody can tell us what to do, then by all means do that. But we are speech language pathologists. We are highly skilled and we shouldn't need a standardized test to determine which kids need services. So um, it's very frustrating to me. It, I, the standardized testing thing is uh, it's it, and it's part of being in private practice and having that autonomy. But it's just it just blows my mind that these are the tests and the whole system is just so ridiculous. You know, before like you buy the cell four and there's a cell five next month yep. and you have to buy the next one. It's yep. just so ridiculous. And, and, you know, why do we take these diagnostic classes? Why do we have a master's degree in speech pathology to let these tests determine? Yes. You know, yes. the tests can give us a general idea. But if there are parental concerns, if language is affecting social relationships, if, if speech is affecting relationships, skills. there you go. Play skills, everything. So yeah. this, is, this is, we need to be able to use, just like in Finland, teachers have the autonomy to teach and do what they feel is best because they have relationships with their students. Us as SLPs, we are master rapport builders, period. Yeah. Master yeah. rapport builders. We work with these kids and we figure out what the problem is. There's executive functioning deficits, language, speech, and we treat them. But it just blows my mind that yeah. a kid being able to formulate sentences or do word right. classing or following directions right. or, or the, pr the pragmatic objects, profile. Three it's a items joke. in the category of fruit if that somehow makes you like ready to rock and roll in this world, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Um, my favorite way to do therapy, and I mean, this is why my son has had very little direct therapy over the years, because as a therapist myself, what I want to be able to do is I want to work with you and then I want to make sure it generalizes. So I want to pull back. I want to make sure I've coached the teachers and the parents and the nanny and whoever else so that there's generalization of skills. So I pull back a little bit, right? Reduce services. And then when we see that the child is now struggling, now I'm going to push back in. And to me, therapy shouldn't be this three the times ebb and you know, yep. over and over uh, for seven, you know, for four years. Um, I'm always like, what are we working on that's functional? As long as I'm working on something functional as a therapist, I am happy to be involved. But I should be able to pull out for a while so the child yep. can now utilize those skills and generalize and uh, that there can be actual learning, not just performance in speech therapy. So I'm a big believer in this, which is why I wouldn't fit into any like system because uh that's not how the world works right therapy is consistent yeah. and that's why what did i what was the post this summer i made my first thing this summer is take a break from therapy like yes. you can't freaking take a break from therapy if your kid is so dependent on therapy that he can't function or if he regresses then something's wrong because that means there's no generalization happening yep and i and i truly believe that most speech and language pathologists are that way and believe in that and see the bigger picture. But hey, if, if there's a district opening and there's a job there that can help you pay off your student loans, you right. gotta take that job. Right. There's, you need to take a school job. Some people love working in schools because they love being in an educational environment. Right. But right. they all recognize the system is broken. You know, we, we, we were born into this IEP, 504, goal-based, smart goals, measurable goals, 
data-driven, label-driven, diagnosis-driven world that is deficit-driven. We don't deficit even talk driven, about strengths. It's completely this 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 system that is completely broken, and this is why we have kids that are getting speech services from first grade to twelfth grade, and parents that shouldn't think, be a thing. and parents are afraid to get rid of IEPs. They're afraid to get rid of five hundred fours. The whole point of having an IEP is to no longer need an IEP. Right. The, the shorter goal of every you therapist. There you go. To get fired, to be let yes. go because I there no you longer need your highly skilled services because my child has generalized. And, you know, and this is, I, again, it's a fault with the whole system. Um, I don't know. I just think, Mike, at some point when it's safe to travel again, we have to take a trip to Finland because I also yes. want to talk to SLPs over there. I want to learn more. This is about education, but I want to learn more about just the system in general because from what I've read so far, I am. I'm a huge fan. One I'm thing I was thinking that I'd be that I'd be fascinated by is what would happen if teachers in Finland read our first book. If 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 teachers in Finland read How Children Succeed, what would mm -hmm. their thoughts be? That would be a fascinating thing. If we can find a way to make that happen. Wouldn't that, that be interesting? Oh my goodness. For them to read about the cognitive hypothesis and what's right. happening. And they'd probably be like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're making you're working on academic yeah. skills with four year olds? Yeah. Exactly. Whereas in this country, big cities are fighting to get man, you know, um, mandated uh, preschool for three and four year olds so that they can work on writing, you know, so they yep. can work on, um, uh, you know, get a head start on literacy. No, you want kids to be hanging from monkey bars uh, so that they can build the fine motor skills and the upper body strength so that someday handwriting can be a thing, but they should still be learning primarily through child directed adult guided playful experiences. Um, so uh, I, I, yeah, so uh, this is an interesting, have you heard about that, uh, Mike, where in some country, and I don't even know, I think they've done it as a trial here in the United States somewhere too, where they put preschool inside of like a long-term A senior living, facility. yep. So yep. that you have the preschoolers batting a balloon back and forth with, uh, you know, uh, the elderly. Because how, yeah. how awesome is that? I mean, it's genius. It's yeah, it's absolutely it really genius, is. and it, it, it's amazing, and it's and it's and, great. And it's great for both. If we put the preschool classroom inside a long-term care facility instead of an early childhood center or an elementary school, you're still talking about a classroom, right? And the other phenomenal thing about Finland is they are not huge on like, oh, let's build a building that is gonna win an architectural award. Like that's Correct. not their primary concern. They wanna make sure that, oh, Mike, in this chapter they talk about um, professional development for their teachers. They mm -hmm. spend an enormous amount of money on high quality professional development uh, because teachers um, are the, the brightest of the brightest and they are the ones who are constantly learning and they want the newest um, research and they want the newest, you know, information. And so they say, no, 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 we don't spend our money. Um, we just have white walls. We don't need a beautiful classroom because we're going to be outside half the time anyways. Oh, oh, I know, Mike, I'm losing it here because we're getting, oh, look at this. Um, page, oh, I don't know, maybe around 105. Oh, 124. Um, required 15 minute recess for every 45 minute lesson. So let's be clear that for every lesson there you, have, you have, you have to go outside for 15 minutes. And my favorite yep. saying is that in Finland, there is no inappropriate weather, right? There's only inappropriate clothing. So you better come with your boots and your scarf and your raincoat and your rain boots or whatever it is, because we don't have indoor recess in Finland, okay? Um, like we do here in the United States. So um, yeah, it's fascinating the differences. And I just, I don't know. I just feel like we have to go to Finland sometime um, because yes. it almost seems too good to be true.
How about that? How, do, how does the book club feel about Carrie and I going to Finland and we will document the entire thing. We'll do Instagram oh, lives as we walk oh, around. Day, we'll inter interview teachers and everything we learn there we're sending to America. And it, look, every single week we're talk we end up talking about screen time. We talk about play. Yes. We talk about executive functioning because yes. it's what it, it, everyone knows. It's the core issue. Everyone knows that's the problem, but no one's doing anything about it. And every day we're just stuck in that vicious cycle of trying to help, trying to help, trying to help, and nothing gets done. Callie's coming. Right. Everyone's coming to visit us. We're going to Finland. Let's make it happen. Yep, yep. It's amazing. And there are several countries, Singapore, um, Korea. There are some other countries that, that have some uh, similar, um, I guess, methodologies uh, as Finland. But what I love so much from what I can tell, again, I've never been to Finland, but is I love their whole their value, their, 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 their intrinsic cultural, like we care about people and we care about what's best for our people. And it's not about making money and it's not about capitalism. It's about doing what's best for the next generation. And let's be honest. I mean, isn't that what matters most? Exactly. And that's exactly what, what, what Finland does. That's exactly, yeah. you know, this is why education is hand in hand with culture here yeah. in America education is not part of culture it's not and, and you know we, we always end up talking about screen time but in finland clearly it's reading and it's literacy yeah. these kids yeah. want to read outdoors. they want yeah. yeah kids in america don't want to read and i've worked with students here in philadelphia that were 11th 12th graders about to graduate and did end up graduating that were basically illiterate they couldn't read they, it's 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 un it's unbelievable what's happening to these students and they're not gaining these crucial life skills but they're getting because, passed on from grade to grade but they're right? passed on because of accommodations because of ieps because the of this broken fours. system yeah. they'd rather yeah. just push them out have them age out than to deal with it while they're there so someone just invited us said we can say it stay at their summer house on the baltic um she's going to finland next summer so yeah i Let's think really, mike um i think it's just something we're gonna have to do and we'll just uh it's we'll, happening uh, instagram live our entire trip i think it would be amazing I think that um, there is, I, what I think, Mike, is it always comes down to this, is we have to start explicitly teaching um, not just children, but adults, you know, these missing skills. What, what, what is something we've been saying since we read the first book? Here in the United States, we've been focusing on the wrong set of skills. We've been focusing on making kids smarter faster. And as we know, um, intelligence is pretty well set. Your IQ is pretty well set by about age eight. There's not a lot you can yep. do to change that. Yep. So it's not about making kids smarter. That is this fallacy that we have under the cognitive hypothesis. What it's about is helping children develop the prefrontal cortex so that they can uh, learn how to be, here we go, let's get Mike's exact words, so they can learn how to manage their emotions, maintain social relationships, and develop independent problem solving, right? That should be our emphasis. And when we get there, that is when the United States will once again be competitive in education. Mic drop. There you go. Can't say it better than that. Everyone put right, the little guys. microphone emojis. Mic Next drop. Week. That's Next how it's week, done. You guys, we're going to be on chapter four. Let's see what it's called, Mike. I haven't looked ahead yet. Um, ooh, is it this one? Let's see. So it's the finish. Uh, the finish the way. way. Competitive welfare state. I don't even know what that means. but And I look at that quote under that. Look, look what that quote says, that little one sentence quote. Real winners do not compete. Real Ooh. winners. Look at that. Look at that. Isn't that something? I love it. Mike, this is the best thing that we have ever done. I don't even know. This is great. <laughs> you guys, thank you for joining us.
I am going to go through my mental list now and do all my chores that I have to once this ends. You need to go back and watch the video of you doing it. It is fascinating. (laughs) All right, guys. You take care, and we'll see you next Monday night. All right? Thanks, Mike. See you guys. Bye-bye.